Hey guys, it's Elise here. Before we start the show, just wanted to let you know that you might be picking up some audio in the background that's a little distracting. Andy and I were recording in the room with the world's loudest refrigerator, so there's a bit of a hum every so often. Apologies, uh, we are working on it. We won't be recording in that room again. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast on your commute, so the ambient noise of wherever you are drowns it out a bit. But just so you know, it's the one and only episode this will happen in, and we hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm Andy, the other fabulous host. <laughs> fabulous is right. It is our fifth episode. Fifth, number five. Wow. Baby's out in the world. <gasps> Any heard anything good? Any feedback? Uh, yes, my wonderful husband gave us some feedback, which you will see. Uh, mostly involving sort of the transition from one story to the other and a recap at the end just to sort of clarify how we got from point A to point B, especially after the first one, which was a bit rough. We all admit it because we were <laughs> nervous and we'd never done this before, but hopefully you stuck with us because episode two was quite good um, and they're on and so forth. Yeah. So we're holding to the Star Trek movies theory yes. of the odd ones. Even ones are good. Odd ones are odd. Just like us. Yeah. They're all going to be great moving forward. But we are odd. Yeah. So I think the, the best thing I heard was from a mutual friend of ours who said that listening was like listening and having a convo with us, which was what I was aiming for. It's unadulterated, just pure crazy going down the, the mic and it's it's us, which yeah, is nice. sort of what we're like. Yeah. Um, we've had some great uh, kind of interactions with people, new people, people who didn't uh, know us previously um, have been listening, which is great. Like Valerie on Facebook is, uh, I think, was our first kind of external follower, and we're happy to have her. Uh, we've also had uh, listeners from Broken Arrow, Pendleton, and the state of Tennessee. So our neighbors to the south are picking up and listening in, which is nice. Especially since we bash Americans so much. We apologize. <laughs> kind of, but yeah. <laughs> we kind of apologize. Uh, we've had some international interactions too, either people listening or following on Facebook, like from the UK, uh, Bangladesh, and Austria. Shout out to our Bangladeshian listener. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been uh, an interesting couple of weeks, and we hope to keep growing and growing our audience, and that you guys uh, enjoy it and come along with us for the ride. And thanks to my mom who followed us, but I don't think she listens because I'm not sure she knows how to or what a podcast really is. Which is a good thing because, yeah. like I told you, I thought she wouldn't wasn't going to let me play with you anymore. Especially after the micro penises. I know, which was like the first reaction everyone gave me when they listened to the podcast. I would get like texts or messages and it, all it would be is micro penis. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's where we started? That's where we started. That's that's the benchmark that we're aiming well, for. Well, we want to make sure people know what they're getting into. Yeah, for sure. Of course. Truth in advertising and all that jazz. It's all fine. Um, just in case I don't get to it at some point in my story today, because I don't think it's too heavy on the patriarchy, I just want to say, fuck Brett Kavanaugh. And fuck anyone who would dare to question Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's uh, story or motives for coming out when and how she did. So 
That's all I'm going to say on that. It had to be said. And all those ladies who talk about, yeah, that was his reputation. Yes. Never mind the 65 women who signed a letter saying he wasn't like that at all and then disappeared as soon as somebody asked a second question about, are you sure? (laughs) So, yeah. Rule of thumb, if you have to have a letter signed by 65 women that said you never raped them, it's uh, not a good look for you. <laughs> if you could only find 65 women that right. could say that. Exactly. There's there's issues. Anyway, that's enough of that. That's all uh, needs to be said. So, uh, oh. on with the show then. So, if you want to reach us, there's many ways you can. You can look at our website, uh, rabbitholespodcast.com. You can email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can Twitter us at <sighs> rabbitholespod. Okay, there, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I don't have Twitter. <laughs> uh, Facebook, you can find us at rabbitholespodcast page. At Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast. Absolutely. And um, if you guys like us and like what we're doing, uh, please uh, think about taking some time to leave us a good review or a good rating on whatever platform you're downloading and listening to us on. So iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play or whatever else is out there working for you uh, would really help with our visibility and uh, start getting traction in a wider audience, which is what it's going to take to keep going on with the show. So... There is that. And now let's get into our story and deciding who's going to go first. We'll use my handy dandy decision making wheel app, which is still a visual in a completely audio uh, situation, which is I great. Know. So the wheel she is a spinning. We need sound. Uh, sound. <gasps> Andy. Andy wins. So I get to go first. So, um, yeah. So I fell down a bit of a rabbit hole after stumbling upon a article that I had to send Elise and then we both said this should be a <laughs> podcast and I said yes I'll do it uh, was um, this author who was arrested for and charged with killing her husband who wrote a or they keep call, uh, one of them, many news outlets keep calling it an essay uh, called how to kill your husband <laughs> how to murder your husband <laughs> Truth in advertising. So I went, what the fuck <laughs> is this? So anyway, so I first I'd like to say I'm sorry to the family and friends and students of the victim, Chef Daniel Brophy. Uh, what caused my atten- what caught my attention, and I'm sure the attention of all of the reporters was Nancy, who is a self-published author, I said, who specialized whose specialty is in romance. Suspense novels? Romantic suspense novels, right. which I didn't realize was a subgenre. But then again, self-publishing has given us lots of random genres. Uh, and these her a lot of her novels, and she's published seven of them, uh, in which her female leads often fantasize or plan to kill their husbands. So I guess write what you know. <laughs> so she also wrote this essay on a site called See Jane Publish on how to murder your husband. It was billed as a tongue-in-cheek essay, but sounds decidedly darker now that, you know, she's been charged with killing her husband. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this essay, she starts by saying, and this is a direct quote, "As As a romance suspense writer, I spend a lot of time thinking about how to murder, about murder, and consequently about police procedure. 
After all, if murder is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail. <laughs> well, it looks like the pr- police feel that she stopped thinking and acted. It's like that guy down in the States who had, like, a forehead tattoo that said guilty or murder or something like that. Like, just cool it. <laughs> mm. So her husband, Daniel Brophy, was found shot to death inside the Oregon Culinary Institute on June 2nd, 2018. At first, the police and friends were just stumped. They were very confused. There was little evidence, no real motive as far as anybody could tell. Um, he was well-liked, respected, and beloved teacher with hundreds of people celebrating his life at a candle vigil um, just a couple of days after he was found by his students, because that's not traumatic enough. Uh, September 5th, the police arrested Nancy, and in a court appearance, the judge sealed the probable cause affidavit uh, with, at the prosecutor's request. So this is apparently an uncommon procedure to have uh, this sealed, and it's common to ask. Both Nancy's lawyers and the prosecutors and the cops aren't saying much about the case. So let's go back and look at what we do know for horrible writing. Mm-hmm. Her essay, and I'm using air quotes, it's a freaking <laughs> blog post, people. Let's call a spade a spade here. It's a blog post. Uh, so she wrote this article called How to Murder Your Husband. And according to her, the motives are money or finance, which is the big one. Because as she, a lot of this is direct quotes. So this is directly quoting her. Because divorce is expensive. And do you really want to split your money? (laughs) Also in these sections, she she suggests husbands have disappeared from cruise ships before. Why not yours? Oh, God. Her other motives are uh, lying, cheating bastard. Okay, fair. Three, fell in love with someone else. Well, as a woman. not a motive for murder, but okay. I guess if the woman fell in love with someone else, and she's also a lying, cheating bastard, right. but then she murders the husband. Because the whole point of that one was if your church frowns on divorce and you don't want to fall out with your congregation... But you also have to be, you know, not too committed to the Ten Commandments. Right. Because you're also already in love with someone else, so you're committing adultery. So I guess murder is okay. Heaven forbid you fall out with your church group, though. <laughs> Abuser, which apparently is hard to prove because uh, women... Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. And five, it's your profession. So profession. So if you're already a hitman, why not just murder your husband? And the options that she writes down that you should consider... Mm-hmm are guns, but they're loud, messy, and require some skill. Because if you shoot him 10 times and he's still moving, you're either really bad at this or he's on drugs. (laughs) Knives, they're really personal, up close. Blood everywhere, quote unquote, ew. (laughs) Garot? Yeah, a garot. Garot, yeah. She asks, how much upper body strength does it take to strangle someone? Well... I just ran it through my head, and I was like, well, you wouldn't use your upper body strength. You would, like, pull it tight and then lean backwards. You would, in fact, use your whole body strength. And then I realized that I had that thought. I couldn't say it out loud without sounding like a psychotic killer. And yet here we are. Yeah. Poison, which she points out, can take a while to work and often makes the victim sick. And who wants to hang out with a sick husband? Not Nancy, apparently. That is so cold. (laughs) Firing a hitman. Apparently, an amazing number of hitmen rat you out to the police. Yes, this is true. Hiring a lover, also never a good idea. Mm-mm. 
because, you know, the woman got all the money, so maybe the the lover will also find himself looking down the barrel of a loaded gun. They do say you end a relationship the way you went into it. Uh, she adds the not-so-comforting statement that she finds it easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them. <laughs> I don't want to worry about blood and brains splattered all over my walls. Maybe that's why she killed her husband at his work. There you go. Maybe. Uh, what I find weird most about this post, which I don't know if that says more about me, and I will link this post so you can read the whole thing. It has been taken down, but it's in the archived section somewhere, one of the articles. Because everything on the internet is forever, people. Never goes away. Never goes away. What I find weird about this post is how she talks about herself in terms of these acts and not how she would write these acts or writes characters doing these acts. Like when you listen to other writers talk about writing mm-hmm. and like mystery or murder writers right they often talk in the third person about these things like you don't often talk about like oh well how much upper body strength would i need or i don't like blood so i'm not going to you know i don't want to worry about blood all over the place yeah the first person's kind of a dead giveaway yeah so then i asked myself are there other writers who've killed people and yes yes there are of course there are of course there are (laughs) So there's William S. Burroughs, a famed beatnik writer, beat generation writer, who accidentally shot and killed his common-law wife during a poorly planned game of William Tell. Oh, Jesus. Which, for those people who don't know, is when someone tries to shoot an object off of somebody's head. So think of, like, circus. Right. Uh, You said a beat writer? Yes. I'm assuming this was the era of acid and other fun chemicals. So both him and his that now late wife uh, were both high and drunk as fuck when they decided to play William Tell. Um, the death was ruled accidental, <laughs> and he just ended up serving time for a minor drug charge. Aw, wasn't that a shame? Anne Perry. Anne Perry. That name sounds familiar. Successful author of historical detective fiction. Mm-mm. Drawing a blank. Was once known as Juliet Hume. That name might sound familiar if you've seen Peter Jackson's movie Heavenly Creatures. Oh, ages ago. Yes. Juliet, with her best friend Pauline Parker, murdered Pauline's mother by hitting her repeatedly in a rock. Right. Because they were both obsessed with each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, Juliet's parents were splitting up, and Pauline and Juliet did not want to be... Uh, separated from each other, so they thought killing Pauline's mom would end up they both moved to England with Juliet's dad. Only they both went to prison. Australian, right? Yes, they were Australian, yes. Uh, So they were both contrite. They uh, spent a number of years in prison when they were young and have since both been released and changed her name. And uh, although Anne denies, if you've seen Heavenly Creatures, there was a lot of sort of same-sex love overtones. She does deny the romantic overtones in the movie. Right. As they're shown in the movie. I mean, really, that's the hill you want to die on in this whole situation? Yeah, you killed somebody by repeatedly bashing her head with a rock. Just But no homo. But (laughs) no lesbians. Come on. (laughs) I wasn't in love. I was just obsessed. (laughs) J.J. Uh, Paulson was a screenwriter uh, and wrote for TV shows such as The Cosby Show and Loving Color, Grace Under Fire. He killed his wife and stuck her body in their attic where it was found three weeks later. 
The body was discovered before he could stage her disappearance. Lovely guy. Don't you hate when that happens? Louis, A-L-T-H-U-S-S-E-R. Althusser? Althusser? Althusser was a renowned Marxist philosopher who strangled his wife and claimed to have no memory of it. He said he was massaging her neck, blacked out, to own, only to wake up and find her dead. <laughs> he got off by claiming a decreased mental faculties, although uh, many claim that it was his fame and influence and not mental state that got him off. Hmm. So, yeah. He wrote an autobiography about his time in uh, prison, I guess, when he was arrested. Uh, Mary Maria Caroline Gell, Gell was a repute a respected feminist author in Chile. She shot and killed her lover while the pair sat in a luxurious hotel in Santiago. She was pardoned by president after certain after serving uh, a fair number of years in jail, but they are not entirely sure why she shot him. They think it might have something to do with jealousy. She wrote hmm. a couple of books while in prison about her time in prison and then continued to write after the president pardoned her. Hmm. Now, the last one here was probably the biggest doozy. When I, I, I sort of was telling Elise that when I plan my stories, I sort of fall down a rabbit hole. Then I will uh, put all of the articles in my reading list and then I'll read them a couple more times and then I'll write my story. So I assumed that this rabbit hole would sort of end where I originally ended in how to become self-published because a lot of not so great authors and like weird subgenres like uh, romance novels about women and dinosaurs. That's exactly what I thought too. Caveman and like these sort of weird erotic romance fiction are coming out of of these sub uh, of self-published like my favorite podcast my dad wrote a porno Mm -hmm. he's a self-published writer so I thought that's where this was going to end but no uh, I got stuck my when I was writing finally writing down the story on uh, this big old doozy so called Johan they call him Jack Unterwegen U-N-T-E-R-W-E-G-E-R He's an Austrian mm-hmm. writer and serial killer. Oh, boy. He he killed what they did believe to be about 10 to 12 prostitutes oh. in Europe and L.A. Starting in 1972, uh, and his killing spree went until 1992. So after killing one woman in 1972, he killed a prostitute by sprang- strangling her with her bra after beating her. Uh, he was put in jail. After 15 years, a bunch of quote-unquote intellectuals and Austrian politicians campaigned for his release because he was completely rehabilitated. Uh-huh. So after he was released, he killed at least nine more women. God damn it. Three in the U.S. So he was captured and sent back to Austria and sentenced to life without parole. He hung himself in his cell with his sh- shoelace. Coward. Uh, this story alone is worth a deep dive because he was like the po- when he got released the first time, he was the poster child for rehabilitation. So he wrote a book about his time in jail and his re- uh, rehabilitation. So his autobiography was taught in schools. They made stories out of his story for children. Oh God. And were performed on the radio. Although this was 1990 to 1992, so radio. What I TV like 
So I guess the story wasn't that good. Well, I mean, 92. Well, I mean, it's the podcast of the 90s. I guess, yeah. <laughs> so he was a TV host. He ended up getting like a lot of jobs when he got out first because like he was this poster child for rehabilitation. Right. And horrible criminals can become like good citizens, I guess. Uh huh. So he was a TV host of a crime show. <laughs> He was a crime reporter and reported on the crimes that he committed. <laughs> he was hired by a magazine and sent to L.A. to report on crime and the difference between um, the perceptions of prostitution in North America versus to Europe. to Europe. Again, this is a man who killed a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So while in L.A., so he, oh my God, so hold on, because I didn't get a chance to write this down. Uh, So when in L.A., he went on ride-alongs with cops to the city's red light district. He met with local police. So during his time in L.A., three sex workers uh, were beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches, and strangled with their own bras. So his ammo. Yes. (laughs) Uh, In Austria, he was... Suspected of killing a bunch of sex workers. I said uh, at least six, Mm -hmm. seven. Um, So the police took a serious look at him and kept him under surveillance until he went to the USA, observing nothing to connect him with the murders, other than they were sort of his MO. Uh, Later, they eventually had enough arrest uh, warrant for his arrest, but he'd already left. And then he was finally arrested by the FBI in Florida in 1992. While a fugitive, he had called the Austrian media to try to convince them of his innocence. <laughs> so he was on the run for a little bit. He was extradited to Austria on May in May uh, 1992 and a charge with 11 homicides, including one that had occurred in Prague and three in L.A. The jury found him guilty of nine murders, and he was sentenced in sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And then he killed himself. Hmm. Using the same knot that was found on all of the strangled prostitutes. Well, I guess if you're going to have a style, you just stick with it to the very end. So, uh... (laughs) Wow. So, like, this what sort of... Yeah. So, yeah, my notes even go, so yeah. (laughs) So, like, where I thought I would end up is not at all where I ended up. Uh, But, because this just sort of boggled my mind that I'd get rehabilitation so these people were like oh he's super rehabilitated but based on the psychiatric examinations they had diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder in 1994 so that's when he was actually uh, eventually convicted was 1994 so it took two years Hmm. so he did uh, before his death he wanted to seek an appeal so, therefore, under Austrian law, his guilty verdict was not considered legally binding after his death because he said he would appeal it. Oh, God. But he's already dead, so. So it just goes down in the books as, meh. Yeah, I cannot even, like, how have these people, because they, there's even Nobel Prize winners who, um, like, campaign. Like, he was... They campaigned, they started campaigning to pardon him in 1985. He didn't get out until 1990 because the president at that time refused the petition when presented to him, citing that the court mandated minimum of 15 years in prison had not been met. So that kept him in jail for a good bit longer. So mostly socialists definitely campaigned for his pardon, including the 2004. 
four Nobel Prize winner names that I cannot winners <laughs> that I cannot pronounce. And I just I, I I don't understand. Like, what did they say after? Like, did anybody go back to them and be like, "So you campaigned hard for five years for this guy to get out of prison? Right. Within a year, he was killing people." How ashamed do you feel of yourself right now? Yeah. How duped do you feel? Like, what? You're, you're obviously very smart because one of them won a Nobel Prize. Yeah, but it's like I say, the more alphabet soup you have at the end of the name, the less common, common sense, sense you have. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, I'd love to go up to one of these men and go, okay, so you campaigned. Yeah. Like, imagine if he'd gotten out five years. How many people he could have killed? Yeah. Did you just think that he was going to clean up, like, the... Sh- filth of your streets aka taxi driver like what so anyways uh in conclusion uh if you're gonna kill somebody don't write a blog post about (laughs) how to kill them um not shockingly authors have killed people not a lot of notorious authors though like i didn't find a whole lot of authors that i recognize well there is the most famous one dr seuss dr seuss killed somebody (laughs) no i'm just messing with you (laughs) So, you know, I suspected a few more. There was a couple that um, just had sort of some more accidental, like there was someone who hit somebody with a car and killed them, and that led that person to just completely... Implode. Yeah, implode, and a few other ones. But yeah, this this lady, she's a doozy, and wow. uh, I will actually probably try to set a Google alert so I follow this case. Because I want to see, because they didn't have any um, original obvious evidence, but I guess she had said a couple of months later, a neighbor asked her, you know, if the police are keeping her up to date and if they have any suspects. And she went, no, they're not, because I'm a suspect. (laughs) Like, just deadpan. And he just thought to himself, like, she must be one tough lady. No, no. Apparently, she's just a murderer. So they've indicted her, and now it's just the in-between. Yeah, so... A lot of the papers have been uh, under are sealed, which is right. unheard of usually. So yeah. So yes. Also, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, I know that, um, um, and that's why we drink. Did the the Austrian serial killer guy? It was really good. Christine did a deep dive on all of it, and yeah, dudes bonkers around the edges, and then straight through. <laughs> So yeah, sorry, what I saw you was not new, but... No, it was good to get the, the refresher and the memory, and I kept forgetting the... Because it just kept getting crazier, right? So you hit a certain point, and you're like, oh yeah, that's how crazy it gets, and you're like, surprise, it gets worse. Congratulations. Yeah, he was covering the crimes that he was actually committing. Right, yes. I mean, that's a sure way of getting a promotion, I guess, if you're a beat reporter. Like, Bob, let's cover these crimes of dead prostitutes. Didn't you kill a prostitute once, Bob? <laughs> let's get your insight. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be some legit reporting, I guess. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> so my story this week came about in a similar way in that it's, it was inspired by a recent news article um, that we both shared Uh, with each other via our multiple text chats and said oh my god this needs to be a story and I said I called dibs and you said okay and then it led me on a weird little rabbit hole so I'm sitting on my couch and I'm trolling through Twitter and the following headline caught my attention and it comes from CTV news 
And the headline read, No charge is laid after man claims colostomy bag ripped out for exorcism cash. And I was stopped dead in my Twitter scrolling tracks. And I was like, I kind of don't want to read this because it's not going to be as awesome as I think it's going to be in my head. But I can't not read it. What the hell is happening? Did this happen in Florida? Because this really sounds Floridian around the edges. And anyway, so I had to know more about the case. Um, And the wild headline, it makes the story just as wild as you think it's going to be. And it actually led me down the rabbit hole that is exorcisms. So jump on this train. Yeah. (laughs) The CTV news article itself, just to kind of give you some actual context. Um, On August 30th, a 56-year-old woman was arrested uh, in Farmersville, California. So I was expecting Florida. A little disappointed. Uh, And she faces charges of elderly abuse, assault with a deadly weapon, armed robbery, and terrorist threats. Uh, She knew the victim and demanded $5,000 to pay for an exorcism in Mexico. And she turned violent when the guy refused to give her the money. She then pulled out his colostomy bag, hit him with her hands and feet, and then tried to hit him with an iron. Bitches be crazy. (laughs) She also broke windows in his house uh, while trying to get in, and she fled when she heard the cops arriving. So. Wow. Picture of mental health, right? Yeah, right. Like, the exorcism wasn't the the clue that there might have been an issue there, but (laughs) the actual behavior. (laughs) Uh, the article is not clear on what it is, but there was a relationship between the woman and the victim of some kind uh, because she had threatened to kill him in the past. Uh, and the article just doesn't give additional details. But he was an older gentleman, like in his 90s. And she, in the police photo, has a clear case of meth face. So I'm wondering if it's daughter, granddaughter. It's hard to tell her age, but 40, 50s-ish. But meth face, it's yeah. hard to judge. Anyway. We're coming into the spooky season of fall, so I felt like this was a good place to start looking at spooky topics such as exorcism. And I started with the uh, basic go-to type of site for this type of information, and that's Wikipedia and their entry on exorcism. Is Wikipedia this part? place we start and end most of these it seems to be i'm trying to get away from it but uh, i do end up hitting it more often than i would like um the term exorcism comes from the greek exorcismos uh, or binding by oath it's a religious or spiritual practice of evicting demons or other spiritual entities from a person an area uh or an area that are believed to be possessed depending on the religion it can be done by having the demon swear an oath performing an elaborate ritual, or just commanding it to leave in the name of a higher power. I am a lapsed Catholic, um, so I was brought up in the old school. The only thing the devil's afraid of is the Roman Catholic exorcism rites. So when I started reading about all the different cultures that have these practices, I was adorably shocked that the church had lied to me. (laughs) I know. What? The Catholic Church never. I know. I'm like, I had that thought and then I was just like, oh, honey, (laughs) like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, So in Catholicism, there's two types of exorcism, uh, the major rite of exorcism, and that requires a bishop's permission and it's performed by a priest. Or you can just do prayers of deliverance, which can be said by anyone. 
The major rights include just a buttload of rules and instructions. There's books, there's training you have to go to at the Vatican to be qualified as an an exorcist. Uh, Since uh, the, I want to say 60s or 70s, there's been a crackdown on the number, (laughs) sounds funny, a crackdown on the number of exorcisms that have been allowed. Because that's, I think it was with the Vatican too, like when they did the big overhaul in the 70s, they put rules in place that said uh, you have to make sure first that the person isn't suffering from some sort of illness, mental or physical. And that's just because there's a lot of questions about the validity of the practice, whether it was mental health or true demon. And so you now have to have a team that includes medical experts to confirm that the person is suffering from a spiritual ailment and not a physical or mental illness. Heaven forbid we crack down on this molesting children business. I know. Let's focus on this one instead. Uh, the, relig- the rituals rely very heavily on invoking the name of Jesus and the archangel Michael, who was the angel, angel that cast Satan from heaven. He's the defender with the flaming sword. No, he didn't cast him out. That was God. What did he do? I think he cast Eve and Adam out of the Garden of Eden. He's the protector angel. Um... And uh, Catholic exorcisms can involve many uh, rituals over a period of time to get rid of whatever the thing is that's clinging on to you. So, like I said, I thought Catholics were the only ones who did this, but in fact, it's a practice common all over the world in all different religions. Uh, In Hinduism, they use the third, seventh, and ninth chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Hindu holy book. And um, they recite these prayers as a mental offering uh, to the departed person who was inhabiting someone to get them to leave. Uh, by the same token, they'll burn incense, sprinkle holy water from holy sprinkle water from holy rivers, um, and blow conches that are used in prayers. Uh, also, praying to the Lord uh, Hanuman is effective uh, because just his name makes evil forces and devils tremble in fear. Because I am not Hindu or any of these other uh, religions, I crack no jokes because I can't. I can crack jokes about the Catholics all I'd like because I'm baptized in the church, but I don't like cracking jokes about others. Uh, In Islam, exorcism needs to be done to reverse black magic, and the exorcism rituals are included in contemporary Islamic alternative medicine books. The ritual can be uh, in, can include reciting verses from the Quran, anointing the person with non-alcoholic based perfumes, and drinking or sprinkling holy water from the Zamzam well on the afflicted. In Judaism, uh, exorcisms are performed by a rabbi who is a master of the practical cabal, and it's done in the presence of a minion, which is not a little yellow gentleman in blue overalls, as I thought it was, uh, because I'm an uncultured Gentile. A minion is, in fact, a group of 10 adult men, and it's a religious kind of grouping, a term within the uh, uh, Jewish faith. Uh, The group will recite Psalm 91, which is the Psalm of Protection, three times, and then the rabbi blows a ram's horn, and that is supposed to shake the evil presence loose. And then the rabbi chats the evil presence up to figure out why it's in the person. And while he's doing that, the minion is praying for uh, the evil spirit so it feels safe enough to leave the person's body. So group activity. Why do these all sound a lot better than the Catholic version? (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Because the Catholic's from on high and our shit don't stink and we've got those tickets. and This just sounds a lot more like 
Maybe it's just because I'm associating Catholic exorcisms with the exorcist. That could be it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this doesn't sound as violent as that, but Mm -hmm. a little more charming. And yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was uh, those religions. And then I looked at uh, my modern, my current religion, which is just modern science. Um, And modern science views uh, the need for an exorcism as a physical or mental illness. The symptoms fit uh, with hysteria, mania, a psychosis, Tourette syndrome, Munchausen's, epilepsy, schizophrenia, or disassociative identity disorder. There is also a disorder called demonomania or demonopathy, which is a form of monomania where the person believes they're obsessed or they're possessed. So they obsess on that one concept, that one idea and link it to the religious aspect and it causes a mania, Hmm. psychosis. Uh, And exorcisms will work on these people because of the power of suggestion. So it's a placebo effect and it could range from the Catholic um, Latin prayer. Christ compels you. Christ compels you. All the way down to just here's a rock to stop the demon from getting into you. And if you believe it enough, it's going to work for you. Yeah. So as an unfun fact, uh, there was a 50% increase in the number of exorcisms performed between the early 1960s and the mid 1970s. And could you wager a guess on what precipitated that? No. What? The movie, The Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> um, oddly enough, there's, Currently, a big jump happening in the UK uh, with more and more exorcisms uh, and experts and the people who study this think it's down to the increasing number of charismatic and Pentecostal churches that are popping up mm-hmm. in the culture there. Um, the problem being that the people who are being exercised are truly mentally ill and their first step in the exorcism process uh, is these preachers are instructing the people to go off their meds. Uh, because the problem isn't physical, the meds aren't necessary, and that just exasperates the problem. Yes. So So that's the theory behind it. Um, I wanted to find some examples of famous exorcisms to talk about, um, but not like the ones we all know, like the ones that inspired The Exorcist and all that jazz. And I'm kind of regretting doing this story now at almost 9 o'clock when I'm going to have to drive home alone in very, very dark for an hour. Um, so, like I said, there's the famous ones, like the one who inspired The Exorcist. Uh, he's known in the literature as Roland Doe. Uh, it was actually a boy that inspired that story. And Doe is it's a pseudonym. It's a not, he, yeah. last name's not known. And then there's Annalise Michelle, um, and she inspired the story The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So those are the big ones. Um, there are some lesser known ones. For example, in 1974, in West Yorkshire, uh, the United Kingdom, we have the story of Michael Taylor. His wife at that time, uh, Christine Taylor, uh, started being concerned for him because she was observing that his behavior was getting weirder and weirder and he was withdrawing from society. She accused him of having an affair with their church group leader during a service and he attacked them both at the time. Uh, Because of that, Christine decided that an exorcism was in order and so had multiple priests come to see him. Those priests claimed to have cast out uh, 40 demons during their session, but that some were still in him when they finished. Uh, But they had done what they could for him and that was all they were going to do. So they sent him home. 
When he got there, he brutally murdered his wife and the family dog and was picked up by the police wandering the streets soaked in blood. As you might expect, he claimed insanity uh, when he went through the court uh, case and was institutionalized for, wait for it, four years. Upon his release, uh, he attempted suicide multiple times and was found guilty in 2005 of indecently touching a teenage girl. So things did not get better for Mr. Taylor or the people around him at any point. While he was in jail for that, he started displaying the same behaviors as uh, before his wife was murdered. And so he was once again moved into an institution rather than just jail where he was for uh, pedophilia. But the wife laid that all at the feet of demons rather than mental health. And it cost her her life. So. There was an interesting case in 1906 out of South Africa. It was a young girl named uh, Clara Germana Selly. Clara was at a mission school and she'd been there for most of her life by that point. Uh, At age 16, she said that she dedicated herself to Satan and made a pact with him. And I was all over the internet trying to find out what that pact was, because if you're going to do that, you usually get something pretty good out of it. But other than dedicating herself to him, I couldn't find what it was really after that happened her behavior became more and more intensely erratic witnesses said that she was developing an aversion for holy objects Uh, she would tear at her clothes talk to people that others couldn't see would growl like an animal and had knowledge of languages that she shouldn't know like polish german and french Uh, also classic uh, signs of possession she levitated she had superhuman strength and knew things that she shouldn't about people around her. Two priests uh, exercised her, uh, but had to come back in 1907, so the next year, when Clara admitted to making a second pact with the devil. So she just could not shake the habit of bad habits, I guess. (laughs) Uh, After this, so the priest came back in 1907, and after they exercised her then, she never had a return of symptoms. I think it probably had more to do with a young woman being institutionalized for the majority of her life, hitting puberty and waking out at the religious missionary school around her. But that's just me. (laughs) Who knows what they were doing to her there? Exactly. Uh, The uh, last one kind of these famous stories talk about is uh, happened in 2008 in New York. Uh, We only have a pseudonym for the woman involved and the name her doctor gave her was Julia. Uh, The story has been circulated pretty widely by this doctor, uh, Richard Callagher, who was educated at Yale. He's a board certified psychiatrist and a teacher at Columbia. He met Julia when she came to him, uh, when she was referred to him by a priest. Julia was queen of a satanic cult and became convinced that she was being attached, um, that she was being attacked by a demon. So went to her local priest. The priest took one look at her and I think pretty tellingly referred her off to Dr. Uh, Gallagher, because that's always the first step is you have to make sure it's not a physical or mental illness. Uh, Gallagher took a very even-minded approach to the thing and decided it wasn't a mental illness after seeing Julia go into trances, speaking in tongues, and knowing stuff about him that she shouldn't know, and having stuff fly off the shelves of his office. So all that happens, and he's decided that it's demonic and not a mental illness, which, I mean, stuff flying off your shelves... Oh, okay, yeah. that's 
video or didn't happen, 2008, Facebook's around. Does not going to take very long to find out stuff about you yeah. starting at that point. Gallagher reported hearing the demon's voice when he was on the phone with Julia's priest, even though she was nowhere near either of them. And so Julia went through the normal exorcisms with Gallagher present because he had convinced the priest that it was a legit case that they needed to be involved with. So they exercised her with him there. Um, eventually, she stopped the process because she felt because she liked the powers that being possessed had given her. Because remember, she was the self-professed self-professed queen of a satanic cult in the New York area. So why would you want to get rid of that juice that you've got? So she stopped, fell off the radar with Dr. Gallagher. A year or so after this exorcism stopped, she called him to tell him that she was dying of cancer, and then he never heard from her again. Uh, the long story short on that is that Gallagher is now the church's go-to doctor for cases of exorcism. And uh, according to that's according to CNN health article um, that was published as a profile on Gallagher himself. So he's made quite a name for himself and is quite famous. Over this it. woman who probably maybe had like brain cancer or something. Yeah, exactly. Or was just mentally ill of some kind. <laughs> so Julia's story and the original kind of start to this were both very recent. And so I want to see what else was happening in the quote unquote world of possessions these days. Uh, <laughs> so I ran a Google news search for exorcisms just to, you know, keep hip with what's happening with the kids these days. Uh, sadly though, the first thing I found was an online blog post from ancientorigins.net, which was about a historical case, but it was just so interesting that like, I felt I had to talk about it because it's actually pretty, pretty cool and funny, but like the outcome. Um, so like I said, this is on ancientorigins.net and it's a story about Marthe Brossier, a 1590s 20 something French woman. So she was an odd duck. She would sneak out of her house dressed like a man. She exhibited no interest in getting married and was accused of being a witch, primarily because she was single and had attained middle age at that point, which was 20s-ish. Yeah. Without a pass of the kids. Uh, she had exhibited these strange behaviors for so long that her family had been using her to make money. They would take her out as part of a traveling show and advertise that she was possessed. And she became a stage act uh, where she would fall on the ground. Her eyes would roll back so far in her head that they looked completely white. Her tongue would lash like a snake's and she would convulse and spoke in a deep demonic voice. So in the age before Netflix, this was your Saturday night entertainment was seeing Marth go watch it <laughs> on stage. <laughs> uh, she became so famous that uh, the French king Henri IV ordered her exorcism. But the church loved her because she became an example of why the people had to live a pious life, which at that time was Catholic. And it happened at the time where uh, the king was making allowances for the French Protestants, the Huguenots. Mm -hmm. So the church was worried that there would be more and more Protestants coming up and they would lose their power and their wealth. So they loved Marth because she was the reason why you needed them. And Henri didn't like her because she gave the church extra juice they didn't need. So uh, King Henri was out to prove that she was a fake, and he ordered his own personal physician and the Archbishop of Lyon to arrange an exorcism for her. 
It all went exactly as you would expect. There was a group of priests, lots of holy water, and prayers were getting thrown around. There was screaming and writhing by Marth on the ground, and it was a whole scene. The only thing was, the holy water was just plain old water out of the back well. Um, they gave her nothing to drink but holy water for several days, and she never spit it up. She never identified it as anything but regular water. They used the true cross that they used, uh, and by true cross, I mean one that was blessed by a priest, was just regular old wood that they banged together out back. Uh, <laughs> I love this king. I know. Uh, the real and the real cross was used to hold down her tongue while she was writhing around, but she showed no reaction to being touched with a blessed holy object. And the Bibles that the priests were reading their prayers out of were, in fact, just Latin poetry. And they were just reading her Latin poetry and uneducated people. It sounds like what you heard on Sunday, so it must be true. But Muff had exactly the reaction you would expect if it was a real exorcism and none of the reactions she should have exhibited if it was a real situation of demonic possession. So real demonic yeah, possession. Exactly. Sorry, I've, I've bought the, I've drank the Kool-Aid. So basically what King Alvi and his physician and the Bishop Leon did was uh, modern scientific proving principles of hypothesize and yeah, proves and yeah. Uh, the obvious explanation of the time was that she was lying. She was seen as a liar by many, and the priests, the church still supported her and thought, well, it was just the devil being extra tricky that day, or it's, it's fine. Uh, but it's quite possible that she was suffering from monomania, so that condition of, like, I've been conditioned since a child by my parents to think yeah. that I'm possessed because I'm their only source of income or a, a solid source of income. And so she's internalized that to the point where she believes it. And she might have something like epilepsy. Yeah. Potentially too. Yeah. All that to say uh, she's was used as a scientific, modern scientific tool to disprove possession in the 1590s. So coming up to a bit more recent times, and by that I mean this decade slash year, <laughs> Uh, this one is sad and terrible. Uh, the Salt Lake Tribune has a story entitled Anti-Abortion Protests and Exorcism Target Salt Lake City's Planned Parenthood. First off, what a woman chooses to do with her body, no one else's business. Damn skippy. So keep it to yourself. Second of all, Planned Parenthood provides a whole host of medical services that women just can't get anywhere else in the States a lot of the time. So mammograms cervical cancer screening birth control education it's it is not just about abortions I, in fact i like the recent data shows the abortions they do perform are small single digit percentage of all the services they provide and birth control is not abortion <sighs> we're back to, back to fuck brett kavanaugh uh, so basically what i'm trying to say is don't be dicks and don't protest planned parenthood sites they're doing good work. Uh, it was a Catholic priest who led this protest, <laughs> which struck me as odd in Salt Lake City, but I guess there will be more than just Mormons in the area. The priest led an exorcism of the building by walking around it while sprinkling holy water on it and reciting the minor exorcism prayers. So what that tells me is he didn't have a bishop's permission to do it because otherwise he would have been performing the full rite of exorcism. But because he was just performing the prayers, it means a bishop probably ducked his calls or just refused to get involved and told them no. 
The prayers were first done in English and then in Latin, so it was clearly for show um, to do it in English because true Catholics will follow the old school. Then they'll only do it in Latin because it's the only thing the devil is afraid of, as I learned growing up. Uh, and the article is very clear to say that the Catholic Diocese of Salt Lake wasn't involved in any way, shape, or form. So I assume they called for comments and the diocese told them Mm-mm. not touching that one. Not at all. You're on your own. Uh, so it's not just uh, the Catholics who are taking it too far. Uh, from Australian, from the Australian website, The Bulletin, uh, there's an article entitled Spiritual Healer Charged Over Exorcism. In 2016, the Sydney police responded to a home where they met a woman saying her husband was upstairs being held down and read the Quran. His grandfather was convinced he was the victim of black magic and had arranged for the exorcism. He brought in this faith healer uh, to do it. And when the police showed up, they arrested him uh, and charged him with kidnapping, assault, and causing bodily harm. And the story behind it was that uh, the husband and wife had lived with his parents for the first year of their marriage, but then moved out because the wife felt like she was being treated like a slave in the family. And uh, his family then assumed that her family had used black magic on him to get him to agree to do that. Basically, I think probably somebody just decided they didn't want to live the traditional lifestyle and moved on out. <laughs> like that's, and I don't blame the woman at all to not want to be doing all the, the housework and wanting to have her own kind of house and her own kind of life. Anyway. There were several people involved in the whole affair upstairs. Um, the wife was in the house. She was the one who called the cops. Uh, the faith healer was arrested. The man reported some physical trauma from the whole thing, like being hit. And, but for the most part, he's okay. And the trial is currently ongoing. So there's no resolution to that one yet. Aww. Yeah. But to kind of end on like a happier note, <laughs> other than the fact that it's sad because there's obviously mental health issues happening here, is this article from thesun.co.uk. They had a story titled, Woman Accidentally Burns Down House While Trying to Perform Exorcism on Sofa She Believed Was Possessed by the Devil. The The woman was 53 years old, surprisingly kind of from Louisiana. Once again, I put money on Florida, but Louisiana here. As the article title suggests, she thought the devil was in the couch in her house. So the only thing you can do uh, in that situation is to light that sucker on fire to get it out. The article said that she was hospitalized for smoke insulation, inhalation, insulation, inhalation. Uh, but I'm also hopeful that she was put in for a psyche eval. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Anytime I come across stories like this, I'm reminded of the line... It sounds pretentious from Hamlet. Uh, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are jumped up in your philosophy. So I don't purport to have all the answers. I believe in modern science. I believe in what I can see and what I can prove. So I say I'm an agnostic. Like, if you can prove to me God exists, I'll get on board. But until that day happens, chances are pretty slight that I'm going to agree with anything you're about to say. But I also have to leave the door open to say that I don't know everything that happens and I can't explain everything every time so yes I I also agree I being raised Protestant and Catholic and then choosing my own terms Mm -hmm. for belief it's it's more of a nature-based I guess belief but uh, yeah there's definitely so many things that you don't 
know and and there's so many things that we just can't know but uh, demonic possessions probably isn't real so i'm gonna start with medical slash physical mental issues first i mean demons are probably going to be at the bottom of my possible list (laughs) so yeah that's that's my story that's my rabbit hole for today so well that was diverse for uh murder murderous authors to exorcisms Mm -hmm. and priests who need to keep their opinions to themselves yeah all spawned pardon the pun by two twitter news stories that just had to be further explored and understood Mm mm-hmm so, uh, you can reach us at uh, our website at rabbitholespodcast.com. We'll also be posting the show notes, which basically is just a lot of links to these uh, articles and, and other Wikipedia, mostly, uh, <laughs> sites. Uh, you can reach out um, at email. Our email is rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts on uh, demonic possession if you'd so like. Or maybe uh, if you know another author who murdered some people. Um, Twitter, you can add, tweet us at, uh, at rabbitholespod. And Facebook, we can reach at rabbitholespodcast page. And Instagram at rabbitholespodcast. Absolutely. And that's not the only way you can get involved with us, is we also have our Patreon page set up. Uh, you can... Search our name of the show on Patreon or just use the support tab on our website. We have lots of fun stuff coming um, up soon that'll be available for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, if you are at the Velveteen tier or above, you get access to the not-so-secret secret part of the website. Uh, and then all the tiers will uh, have a chance to hear uh, the bonus podcasts that we'll be recording uh, shortly uh, for you guys. Uh, if you love us and you want to rep us out in the big old world, uh, feel free to pick up some merch. Our store is with redbubble.com. Uh, you can search our name again at Redbubble or find links to the merch on our uh, website through the merch tab. And then if you like what we're doing and you want to show us some support, we'd greatly appreciate it if you could go and provide us with a rating or a review on uh, wherever you're getting this podcast. So iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else. Um, Let us know what you think. Make sure you share it out with all your friends and family, but not your moms, because that's probably not going to go down so well. They're anything like mine. Uh, And yeah. Connect with us however you can and however you'd like. Oh, we should give a shout out to Photo Boy. Oh, yeah, for sure. One of our jointly favorite uh, podcast or podcast blog sites forever was the Superficial. And then, Rest in peace, Superficial. Uh, anyhow, yeah. Mike Redman, who originally ran it, did a great piece on Medium, three great pieces on Medium explaining the death of the soup and um, just the whole death of that online blogging atmosphere that's happening and um mike redman and uh carmen who's known as photo boy uh were great supporters of us when we let them know we were doing this and they're great guys so thanks for that and uh we hope they're listening after their kids have gone to sleep yeah because that's what i'm doing i'm doing this after my kids go to sleep we hope Uh, So, if you remember, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Have a great one. Bye, guys.